1: Welcome back to another episode of Sovereign Self. This is your host, Sophia Renea Morales, and we are returning this week to continue our conversation with Veronica Monet on finding a spiritual connection after religious abuse. But before we swing into that, I would like to invite you to get to know your own self a little bit better uh, and answer that question. What is your number one spiritual gift? So many of us listen to these shows and and go to psychic fairs and have these kinds of spiritual experiences or watch other people have these spiritual experiences. And we think that we don't have any of that giftedness. And that would not be true. We are all psychically and spiritually gifted in one form or another. And that's why I created the Superpower Quiz. As always, I'd invite you to get your pen and your paper. Take a note of the URL, superpowerquiz.us. Take two minutes. It's free, it's easy, it's simple, and it's quick to get that peek into the mirror to show you what your number one spiritual superpower is. Again, that's superpowerquiz.us. And I will refresh your minds on Veronica Monet's background. Uh, She is a spiritual and sexual empowerment coach and brings a unique and transformative approach to her coaching practice that blends IFS-informed coaching with her own spiritual journey of healing, as well as her credentials as a certified sexologist, anger specialist, and trained rape and domestic violence counselor. She's been featured on platforms such as CNN, Fox, Yale, Stanford, and the New York Times. She is also the author of the book, Sex Secrets of Escorts, and there Veronica shares her story of sexual and spiritual sovereignty for those who seek similar empowerment. Welcome, Veronica. So happy to have you back again this week. Oh, you are just so much fun. I really love your program. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I am so looking forward to finishing your story this week. Uh, We were working up to your spiritual awakening, and this is a quick reminder from last week, and you can go listen to it if you haven't yet. Uh, But Veronica had gone through a childhood in a cult. There had been um, pedophilia, sexual abuse. drug abuse, all kinds of abuse, (laughs) Uh, manipulation, control, uh, narcissistic expressions, all of this stuff had gone before. And she'd managed to get out of the cult, get her college degree, and uh, had gone out into the work world to take on her career, but had discovered that self-medicating was the most compelling thing for her in that time. Uh, And let's see, what else? Oh, yes, and the green-eyed monster in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) So um, pick it back up for us, Veronica, from this point of you've got this haunting going on, your boyfriend kicked it out, and your home life drama has become like this every weekend emergency services somehow at the house.
2: Yeah, we are. We are dealing drugs out of our apartment. We are starting, we've transitioned from cocaine to what is called crystal meth. Nowadays, we used to call it crank. It might not be exactly the same chemical compound, but it's, it's it's, same idea. It's a very dark drug. Things change very quickly. You know, everybody starts to get paranoid. You know, all of a sudden a gun showed up in our house. I was very opposed to that because my father would, had been a gun freak. Um, But then, You know, you get used to it and the drapes are always pulled. You become a night creature every time you step outside and there's a bright sun. You can't handle it. Yeah. It's
1: like you're a vampire.
2: (laughs) Very much (laughs) a vampire. Yes. And at that point, then I um, started um, feeling that I was being haunted I saw the green eyed monster in the bathroom. Um, And then, also, sometimes when I took a shower, I'd feel like a dark shadow passed over me, like somebody Mm. was hovering over me. And it felt very ominous, menacing energy. So, that's happening. Um, The psychologist told me I was an alcoholic. I wanted to prove him wrong, so I stopped
1: drinking for 30 days. Oh, I was going to ask, and how did that go? (laughs) Yes,
2: I stopped drinking for 30 days to prove him wrong. I was so proud of myself. I went to order, uh, at the end of the 30 days, I went to order a coffee drink, you know, where this got a little whiskey in the coffee, Mm -hmm. and it just tasted terrible. So I pushed it away and ordered a mineral water, and I thought, I'd like to see an alcoholic do that. Yeah.
1: Look at me. I'm proving that I am not (laughs) self-medicating.
2: I have control over this. And I waited a whole week and it was a hot summer day. And I rewarded myself for working really hard, uh, cleaning the house with one uh, dark beer, dark classic beer, which is one of my favorites. My friends were getting drunk. I didn't join them. Oh, my God, I have so much self-control. Look at you go. You're clearly not an
1: alcoholic.
2: So I had a plan. I was just going to get drunk Fridays and Saturdays. I'd sober up on Sundays so that I would stop going to work drunk and almost running off the side of the road. Um, Okay,
1: well, that, that would be a significant improvement.
2: And I was all excited about that. But somehow or another on the third week, I decided to inject cocaine into my veins for the very first time in my life. And so I had suddenly graduated to a needle.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: There is a saying in 12-step recovery that the disease of addiction and alcoholism is cunning and baffling. And this, for me, was absolute proof. How Mm. my well-thought-out plan turned into more severe drug use. Yes. blow my mind.
1: Well, and looking at it from the spiritual path perspective, right? Yeah. Your soul had something it wanted you to learn here. And
2: boy, did I learn it. So there was one morning, it was September 4th, 1985, that I woke up in bed alone. I don't know where my fiance was might've been at work. He might've been.
1: I love that you remember the exact date.
2: (laughs) Oh, there's a reason I remember that date
1: because
2: that was the day that I prayed for the first time in years. And it was a very simple prayer. I just said, please let me die.
1: Oh, okay. And how did you get an answer to that prayer? Because they do get answered.
2: Well, first of all, just why did I want to die? Because I really had to go to the bathroom. And I knew that meant I was going to have to walk past the bathroom mirrors. And I knew that I would see my reflection and that there was no soul left in my eyes. Oh, I felt so empty and so dark and so destroyed Mm -hmm. that I just wanted to start over. Wow. And I fell asleep. I had two dreams. One dream was about how I was hurting the people that I love. The other dream was about how I was hurting myself. I woke up, fell to my knees and cried out to my understanding of God, please help me get sober.
1: So tell me a little bit about your understanding of God. Well, because I imagine it looked a little different than what you were raised with in the cult.
2: I did not really have a, like a cogent thought process around that. Mm-hmm. What I think was happening for me was that I could feel my guides or my higher power talking to me through those dreams. And I had a memory that I wasn't I wasn't actively memory, you know, remembering it. But when I was 17 and still living with my parents, I had walked down to the river that ran past our house on this old sawmill site. And I thought about throwing myself into it. Wow. And I cried out that day and said, does anybody give a damn whether I live or die? Certainly I didn't feel like my father did. He was just scapegoating me every day. And I felt something that day. I felt a warm embrace. Mm. I felt some energy put its big spirit arms around me and hug me. Mm. And I thought, oh, That's very different than this punishing God that is striking everybody with lightning bolts. This is very different than Herbert W. Armstrong, who's the right hand of God. This is is love. And somebody does care if I live or die. So that was 17. I'm 25 now. So that's seven years later, actually eight eight years later. Something
1: like that, yeah.
2: Yeah, that I am like, I think connecting with that. Mm. And um, if I had this, just this moment of clarity where I thought, if I don't do it today, the train is pulling into the station. There's one ticket it's reserved for me. If I don't take that ticket and get on the train right now, I will be dead in six months. Wow. Wow. And I suddenly didn't want to be dead. How right. I got from please let me die to please let me live. I, that is a spiritual awakening for me. That's grace.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That is my spiritual awakening. And that was the day that I got clean and sober. And that was the day that the craving for drugs and alcohol was removed from me. That actually happened. Not that not everybody has that experience. I've been in the 12-step meetings now for 37 years. I know that is just how it was for me. And there are a certain number of people for whom that happens. And we all refer to it as a spiritual awakening because it's like night and day. You are this empty shell who's just a drug addict and has nothing but dark energies flowing through you. And all of a sudden, you are somebody who wants to live and is willing to surrender and do whatever
1: it takes. Wow. So tell me about what the practical unfolding of that looks like, because you've established a very what should I say? Drug-centric lifestyle, which is what happens with addiction. You build your life around whatever that addiction is, whether it's shopping or gambling or sex or drugs or whatever it is. The, the fiancé, uh,
2: who, by the way, had beaten me up many times, um, <laughs> decides he doesn't want to lose me. He can't live without me. And, and by the way, just you know, an aside about narcissism, um, I always think about that as like one of the
1: most codependent conditions there is. So, oh, amen, sister. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it mar- takes two to have a narcissistic relationship. I got news for you. Well, I've lived through one. I've contributed my half. <laughs> well, true, but
2: the narcissist is also a huge flaming codependent because yes. they, don't, they don't actually know how to survive without the person that they're fading off of. So, exactly. My fiance suddenly says, Ah, oh, I'll 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 start going to twist at meetings too. I'll get sober too. I'll, we'll do it together.
1: I'll do you all know? the things, yes. <laughs> so
2: he starts going to meetings with me. And um I don't know it, but he's snorting cocaine off the back of the toilet in uh on breaks. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So and he ends up getting a sponsor, and long story short, that sponsor goes out with him and loses everything he owns to my ex fiance Wow. Okay. And I I broke up with him eventually, and he starts stalking me, and that was
1: really scary. But that is really scary. My narcissistic ex did the same. He stalked uh, me for almost a freaking decade. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly. Horrible oh my God. That's and he horrible. finally stopped. I don't know why he stopped. It wasn't anything that I did. Somebody I, else. I see that as grace.
2: Yes, I totally get you. I totally get you. Uh, as it turns out for me, uh, another woman came
1: into his life. So he got his narcissistic supply there. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> yes, thank God and thank you, whomever the new supply is, and blessings on you.
2: <laughs> totally. Yeah. So um, but I had to leaving him before he stalked me and before he made this commitment that he's gonna get into 12 step and, and and try to get sober. I thought was it I knew I was in an abusive relationship and I needed to get out. And I was terrified that if he if I told him I was leaving, he would prevent me. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So I waited till I was at work. I put it out to everybody in the, the meetings that I went to. I, I'm looking for a roommate who's sober and in the program. And they let me know, we found somebody. Do you want to go meet her? I said, nope, I'm going to pack up my car and just drive over there and move in now. That's
1: <laughs> a, I don't even need to know who this person is or what they're like. It's better than what's happening now. <laughs> I'm desperate to get out of here.
2: And, uh, she was a little shocked, but she let me come live with her. And I had, you know, and I was trying so hard not to let him know where I was, but he started stalking me to the meetings. And then from there, he'd go to the coffee shops. And then from there, he found, finally found out where I worked, or, yeah. where I worked and then started and where you lived and yeah. then where I lived eventually. Yeah. So that was a nightmare. And, um, in between all of that, at some point he tried to get sober. We got engaged and then he went out and and then this other woman finally took him out of my orbit. Thank the Lord.
1: Yeah. Oh, thank heavens. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I still say things like that. <laughs> yes. So we are up on our break already. Can you believe? Yeah. yeah. Um Everyone who's joined us here today, I know there's a lot of triggering stuff that happens on these journeys. If you were with us last week, you've started a little list. If you have it, great, you can add to it. If you don't have it, just use your pen and paper and keep continuing on for the things that have sprung up for you that are triggering, that you're reacting to, or judgments that you have coming up. Uh, A lot of us will listen to a story like this and go, well, you know, I had a little drinking problem, but I never did hard drugs, right? <laughs> there there are judgments in there that you may want to look at and examine um, in order to have that peace inside of yourself that you so deserve. So many of us torture ourselves and try to prove ourselves better or superior to someone else to, to see our own worth. And the truth of the matter is you are worthy exactly as you are. You're lovable exactly as you are. The inherent core of you is beautiful and divine. And you can connect with that in any moment and you can own that in any moment. We see it in you. I would wish that you see it in yourself. And if you're living in fear and judgment, I would, my friend, wish you the blessing of having better surroundings for yourself. So on that note, hang with us. We'll be right back from the break where we uh, begin to understand how this awakening expresses itself in Veronica's brave new world. So hang with us. We'll be right back.
0: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
1: Hey, beautiful soul. Sophia Renee Morales here. I've been doing Sovereign Self for over a year now, and I would like to hear from you. Tell me what you want to hear in coming shows. Go to TellZofia, that's T-E-L-L-Z-O-F-I-A dot com. Drop me a quick note and let me know. How has this show supported you? Where should we go next, or are you perfectly content with where we're going at the moment? That's tellzofia.com. Your opinion is critical in informing where I take the show next. Thank you so much, and live soul first.
0: Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you.
1: Thanks for hanging in with us through the break. This is Sophia Renee Morales. I am still here with Veronica Monet and we are digging deep into her personal journey. She's had her personal awakening, uh, which brought her from desiring to be dead to really profoundly wanting to live and also took away the craving that had been riding her life around medicating away her pain with drugs, with alcohol and moved her into a 12-step program with a stalker ex. (laughs) (laughs) So um, tell us a little bit about your journey. We started into this actually in many ways because I'd asked you about the compassion that you felt for your father uh, who had brought you so much harm in your younger years. And I know it's not a a two-second journey to move from victimhood to feeling compassion for your abuser. So tie it back in for us. (laughs) Absolutely. Look, it is a long
2: journey and it has a lot of twists and turns to it. Um, and you know, initially I, I, I went into a group, um, therapy group for incest survivors and, um, it was intense. It, It was built on a model of, um, trying to heal entire families around incest, right? And I've, I wish we had more of that. There, there aren't very many programs that are doing it from that standpoint now, because we're really living in a polarized time right now, where there's good people and bad people. And,
1: yes, you're you're the victim, and that person's the abuser. And with incest, that the lines aren't that clear.
2: Well the the lines just aren't that clear period because yeah. most perpetrators are also survivors and so we end up creating a culture where um people try to pick a side yeah. oh, i'm a survivor okay so now i'm not going to be accountable for my perpetrations and i don't look at myself and i just think it's so important you know i i freely i i feel very blessed that i have never perpetrated, uh, incest or child molestation. I do not feel, um, like that's to my credit. I feel like that's another act of grace that I'm just so grateful for. Yeah. Um, and I look at the people, my aunts and my uncles and my father, um, and grandparents as survivors who, it, it was handed down from generation to generation. I know that for a fact.
1: It's the only
2: pattern they knew. Yes. And they're, and they're, they're not, they don't have a language for it. They don't know anything about therapy. You know, we can't always hold people who are born in a different time to the standards that apply to our generation. There are certain languages and words I remember in 1982, when I was in college and I was volunteering for the Center Against Rape and Domestic Violence in Corvallis, we didn't talk about incest in the culture. Mm. It was not a word that people uttered publicly. So you have to have language
1: anyway. um, Well, and you also have to have a recognition that there is a different way Well, and, and also you have to understand what a perpetration looks like. So I'm,
2: I'm huge on boundaries and body autonomy and and personal space. That's really important to me. And I'm, I'm a sexologist and I, I really have this big, big container for um, sexual diversity and, and being very accepting and non-shaming of people's sexual paths, if it's adult and consensual behavior. But what is adult consensual behavior even becomes another thing to open up because there's a lot of married people that are not having adult consensual interactions with their own husbands and wives.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah.
2: So, so how, how do we open people's minds to that? Why do we have to get out of this victim perpetrator model and start looking at actions being victimized, being uh, perpetrating that we start looking at the gerunds. In the
1: yeah. We at we're it. not putting people in boxes. We're looking well, at actions of expressions. Yes. Well, yes. so my, my both of my parents are incest survivors,
2: and my father is also a perpetrator. I'm mean, a huge perpetrator. There's, I'm not watering down any of the things he did, and it had a huge impact. I mean, a really negative impact on my sister, especially. Um, so. Getting, I had to go through being angry. I wrote him angry letters. I confronted him through the letters, not in person. Um, That's I, an important detail, especially with a guy who likes to use his guns. <laughs> yes, I distanced myself from him. I, I, I didn't like cut him out of my life, but I put, I put some miles between him. He's in Oregon. I'm in California. Yeah. Um, and occasionally I went to visit my parents, but you know, for short periods of time and cautiously, I don't want to make any waves or start any problems. I tried to go see my dad when I was 29. And by this point he had was so into his mental illness that, um, he just had a gun strapped to his hip and told me to leave. And he didn't want me to touch him. He thought I was going to give him germs because his OCD had really taken over at that point. Oh,
1: sure. yeah,
2: Yeah. And I, seeing how my father died, it was just, you know, he, he lived all by himself in that same mobile home. He had um, uh, put black plastic on every single window except for the one in the bathroom, and mm-hmm. he had nailed all everything shut. He had basically entombed wow. himself. And the terror that his psyche was experiencing was just. That's what drove him to that. And I, I get that. He was one very terrified guy. Yeah. But I had to unpack my anger and I had to get very clear on how damaging. And I think this is the thing where we get caught. We cannot look at how horrific the crime is and how huge the negative impact is on the, on the, the person who's victimized. And at the same time, see that there's a human being created who's, who's actually committing that crime. Yeah. And, you know, there's bigger questions about how do you stop people that are, you know, raping or kidnapping children versus what do you do with a, a parent who doesn't understand uh, the boundaries that they should be having with their children, who might even be in a religious cult that thinks sex is great between
1: adults and children. Yeah, exactly. Sex is part of your salvation. I mean, there's a lot there of that. There are a yeah. lot of cults that talk a lot of that vicinity. kind of dogma that comes up. Yeah,
2: exactly. Uh, and the horrible damage that they did. But um, not don't paint people with a, bit of a broad brush. Understand the person that's in front of you. And I, I came to see my father as the person that he is, and understand that he was a survivor and that he was mentally ill. Yeah and i still needed to have my rage my anger um and i had to have years of it
1: yeah well and just because he's he's got the reasons that he's done the things that he's done it's just because he's got the reasons that he's done the things that he's done and the fact that you can have some compassion for his own circumstances that brought him to that being the best choice he could make does not negate your right to be upset, angry, or, or to gain some form of justice if that's what feels appropriate to you. He's been dead now for like seven years. Yeah.
2: Uh, um, a, there was a, There was a place in my body that had been tight and contracted the entire time, even though he hadn't talked to me for a long time. Yeah. He hadn't talked to me for decades. I had nothing to do with that man. And he still created terror inside my body. And when he died, uh, my digestive tract started working better.
1: Yay. It let go <laughs> and you could flow again. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Without getting too graphic. Um, <laughs> I just went, oh my God. I didn't know. That that's what was going on. But there were places in me that had, but were still terrified. Yeah. Even though I was an adult woman who had gone on to get married, raise children and
1: have a career Um, and, yeah. and well, left him, left it's him it's behind. That's, it's that subconscious part of you taking care of you.
2: Yeah. So I don't like look at myself as, oh, I'm recovered. I'm,
1: I'm always going to be recovering. Uh, I think Largely, we are all in some way, shape, or form recovering from something if it's not an abusive childhood or a bad relationship or a tendency to actually abuse ourselves. I'm a recovering workaholic, okay, (laughs) and a recovering perfectionist who's learning to embrace, you know, done and adequate is perfectly fine.
2: (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, Recovering perfectionist (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> also eating disorder um, anorexia type thing. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all there and um i still I still am working with those ACE scores. Now for people that don't know what that is, adult, it's um um adverse childhood experience
1: yeah.
2: your ACE mm-hmm. scores. Now I wish they put cult survivor on there. I want to
1: redesign that test. Yeah. The, you're missing there. an experience or two here. They are.
2: <laughs> they are. Being imprisoned as a child. Uh,
1: <laughs> they yeah. should
2: be on there. There's too much focus on alcoholism and domestic violence. We need to have the other stuff in there too. But yeah. but even, even so, my A scores are high um, and if the test had everything on there that applies
1: to me, that would be even, even higher. So you've been through a lot. You've had this spiritual awakening. You've come to some, what do I want to say? Compassion for your father. Yeah. Did you forgive yourself? That was more work. It's always more work.
2: The hardest part was forgiving myself for leaving my younger sister home alone with dad to go
1: oh.
2: to a 10 ch- day church convention with my mother. Mm. Um, I've made amends to her for that many, many times over the years until she got sick of it. But I just, <sighs> I could not free myself from it. Yeah. until I dug deep enough. And this is what I love about Twelve Step recovery. We have to do fearless and searching moral inventories. Mm-hmm. And so I, I dug deeper. Like it's not just that I left her there because I was only 15. And of course I wanted to get out of the prison for a, a 10 days to go to church with my mother. Yes. Um, and, and I had never been allowed to go anywhere with my mother. Um, I I wasn't. My father owned it's me. It's this little rare bit of freedom. Yes, and but she looked at me with those plating eyes, and because she was daddy's favorite, and I, you know I don't want to give too much of a trigger here, but he used to molest her right in front of my mother and I. Yeah. Um, it, she, her clothes were on. He just he had a thing about her breasts, and while we were watching TV, and she used to look at me like ha ha. And I felt like, okay, fine. Well, then you must like it. Um, mm. And all the attempts I had made to get her to side with me, to confront him and tell him to stop touching our breasts, had she wouldn't do it.
1: Well, there was. There's a lot to lose by going down that road. So yeah. here's
2: what I I came to realize: I was angry at her that mm. day. And I had a thought, well, whatever happens, you deserve it. Oh. (sighs) So that's the thing that, and believe me, when I came home and I saw just in her eyes, in her eyes, I saw what had happened.
1: Yeah.
2: And she, was broken. <sighs> it wasn't a case of oh well, you like it, you deserve it. Who cares? And
1: yeah,
2: Now you see the evidence the in front of you. guilt and shame and regret, and also rage that this had happened, that he had taken advantage of that. I thought he might. I thought I was. Exaggerating things. Everything I'd been told was that you're crazy and imagining things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so you, on some level, hope that that's the case.
2: Of course. I mean, yeah. you know, my, my dad said he didn't, I don't know what you're talking about. That doesn't happen. That's never happened. Yeah. And, and I tried to talk to my sister and you know, my mother, and they're all going, It's not happening. You're imagining. Classic, classic gaslighting. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, but I know that when an adult does that to a child, and this, in this case, a 13-year-old child, you have broken them in ways that might never be repaired.
1: Yeah, it's extremely hard to put that back together. And when it does go back together, it doesn't go back straight. So... Yeah.
2: The message that I have about having compassion for my father, I always want that to be married to the message that I know deep in my bones, this is one of the worst things you can do to somebody. Yeah. And um, yeah, to hold those two things. To be able to hold the outrage and the grief, to be able to hold the anger and the rage with also compassion and love, is to me, that is my spiritual assignment
1: for this yeah. lifetime. And that is a mastery level course right there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And we are up on our second break, I believe need it one. or not. <laughs> I, I would imagine so. We've arrived at a very intense spiritual place, and I think there are a fair number of people out there who are looking forward to this break almost as much. Um, and I love that you brought forward that judgment that you had had about your sister yeah. before you left. Um, it's a good example of why I ask people as they're going through something like this, write down your judgments, put them out there where you can see them, where they're not lurking around in your subconscious anymore. Mm -hmm. So you can really face them and look at them as an adult in the light of day and go, does this judgment really serve me? Yeah. And make some decisions about it. And hang with us when we come back from the break. We're going to talk a little bit about... Well, what do you do with these things? (laughs) (laughs) As well as some of the ways that you can connect and interact with Veronica. She has this world of wisdom for anyone who's struggled with even a fraction of what she's gone through. Mm -hmm. Um, She's an amazing support to have on your side. And so we'll talk more about how you can engage in some of that when we get back. So hang with us.
0: voice america is on linkedin connect with us today
1: hey beautiful soul Sophia renea morales here i've been doing sovereign self for over a year now and i would like to hear from you tell me what you want to hear in coming shows leave a quick voice message at 520-261-6827 and let me know how has the show supported you where should we go next, or are you perfectly content with where we're going at the moment? That number five two zero two six one six eight two seven. Thank you so much for your feedback. It's crucial in informing where I take the show next. Thank you, and go out and live soul first.
0: Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Behind Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio.
1: Thanks for hanging in with us through the break. This is Sophia Renee Morales. We are back with Veronica Monet. And before we left for the break, she had revealed a judgment that she'd had about her sister as they were going through this terrible abuse and pedophilia with their father. Um, And so Veronica, share with us a little bit about what you did with that judgment. We've been making this list of judgments and triggers and stuff. Give us an example of how you start to pick that sort of thing apart. Well,
2: there's so many layers to that. One of the things is to realize that I've also done things that are eligible to be judged. Yes. Um, In my marriage, I perpetrated domestic violence. I -hmm. also was a survivor of domestic violence, but it wasn't like I was just the one being hit, I also hit, yeah. um, and see having that humility to see that. Oh, and, and actually, I tell you, coming to grips with that in the early nineties was not easy because the whole narrative at that particular time was, oh, well, if you fought, if you hit him, you were fighting back,
1: or he, and and you were escalating and bringing it on yourself. you, yes.
2: you well, you deserve no. He deserved it. No, it was very much about women are always the victims. Men are always the perpetrators. So as right. a, a cisgender female, if I perpetrated domestic violence, he had it coming. Mm. And getting past that and realizing, oh, no, this is a family disease. And thank God I found a therapist who looked at it that way. They were very rare back then. Yeah. Um, And it was so helpful to start seeing that, yes, he abused me. um, And maybe he abused me first, and maybe he even abused me worse. You know, those things are things you can look at. But abuse is abuse, and you don't get to have justifications for that. Yeah. And it wasn't self-defense. It was mutual combat, and it it was staying in the relationship and staying enmeshed It's not like I was trying to get away. So that, it helps. That helps to start putting yourself under that kind of microscope and
1: looking at yourself and taking responsibility for your part. And that's part of the reason that I love making the list, because recognizing it is the first step in going, ooh, there's a pattern that perhaps I can change. And it's really the first step in that response Ability. I like to make it two words. (laughs) I like that you do that. Um, Because when you have response ability, you can choose to form a different outcome. You can choose to question and challenge the underlying unconscious thing that's down there. And I know for my own judgments, most often the things that I judged most harshly, and most immediately in someone else are faults that I share with them, but I don't wish to admit it.
2: Well, swinging back to the judgments against my sister, part of that judging her for liking it was not that I wanted my father to molest me. That was obvious I'd made my choice to reject that as best I could. I wanted him to love me the way he loved her. Mm. I, why couldn't I be daddy's favorite? Yeah. Um, and also, he was always bragging about the size of her breasts, and I'm a slender woman, and I didn't have that, and so I was also jealous of that, um, and thought, oh, if I had bigger breasts, then maybe he wouldn't hate me. Yeah. So no, all I, of that I, stuff's going on, and I'm only yeah. 15, and I don't, and I don't understand that this is just how it plays out in an incestuous family that their daddy's favorite is the one who gets molested the worst. Yeah. And they're always in a dysfunctional, toxic family. There always has to be a scapegoat. There's always a favorite and, Mm -hmm. and everybody's pitted against each other to compete. And in this case, all three of us, my mother, my sister, and I were all competing on some level And the competition that I quote unquote won was I was the smart one that daddy felt like he could talk to about things he couldn't talk to my mother and my sister about. Okay, So you have to start looking at how you are sourcing your self-esteem even. Like how is it you feel like um, good about yourself? Because I'm not feeling good about myself just for existing. I've never had that kind of love
1: yeah
2: i don't even know how to give myself that love so it's always about power over or being better than someone else mm. or winning a contest of some sort and as how, how do you start to shift out of that oh you've really got this is an inside job where you start to find how you can learn to love yourself
1: all right that sounds real simple on its face
2: I've but still, what are still some concrete
1: things we can do <laughs> to kind of tiptoe our way into that little saying, by little? There's a saying in the 12-step act as if.
2: So having a, a list of things I'm going to do for myself, like get therapy, uh, get body work, go to a yoga class, um, take time in the morning to have a morning practice, Um, If you can take up meditation, word of warning for anybody who's got the level of trauma that I have, if you have complex PTSD, which I do or did a couple of years ago, meditation may not be your thing.
1: Well, Um, especially the sitting still and letting your brain kind of wander stuff. Yeah. It's probably better to... Do some therapy before you go too far. There's a reason. There's a reason that you run around, you know, socializing and getting drunk and feeling every moment of your day. And that's because you're not ready to sit with that.
2: It's (laughs) so true. And I mean, just like five years ago, I had a therapist try to put me into a seven minute guided meditation and I immediately dissociated. Yeah. So she says, oh, you have complex trauma. And I'm like, duh. So <laughs> <laughs> you
1: hadn't caught on to that before now. <laughs> so
2: uh, so yoga, yoga is great for working through that trauma. Um, yeah, because and- you're actually going into the body. Yes. And, I, and I also like a Kundalini yoga practice because I doing mudras and mantras gives my brain something to do besides dissociate. Yes. I can stay more present.
1: Yes. Well, and I've also talked to clients who are like, oh, I can't sit still and meditate. My brain freaks out. I'm like, you don't have to sit still to meditate. There are things like moving meditations and any sort of mindless rhythmic task that you do that you kind of enjoy like yes. some people like the the warm sudsy water when they do the dishes by hand Lousy. some people love the the folding of the laundry when it comes out of the dryer totally. let that be your moving meditation just be really present with the task and walk
2: in nature Walking in nature, if you have access to nature, absolutely it's just a city park, because the um, the energy that comes off of the trees, your body will start to sync with it. Yes, yeah. So it's a great way to reset. I like to do my morning practice. Outside where in the morning with the trees and the birds, because it just it helps me
1: regulate. Um, I love that. We're down kind of to the last six minutes of this entire segment. So I would love to focus on if we've really spoken to someone, if someone's really connected to your story and what you've been doing. Been through and is on sort of a parallel kind of healing process. How could they get in touch with you? Did you bring a gift with you? I did bring a gift. It's called the Exquisite Partnership Formula
2: and it's geared towards couples. I work with a lot of couples who are in distress with my background as both a survivor and a perpetrator of domestic violence who's been in recovery for decades from that now. I love. Helping couples who argue too much, fight too much. And I also work with couples who are sometimes having active domestic violence. Um, not the kind that I mean, like if it's a really severe case, yeah, the law has to get involved. Yeah. But but if if it's things like pushing, shoving, um, slamming doors chasing each other down the hallway saying i'm not finished talking yet those are all of domestic yeah. violence a lot of people don't know that they're domestic
1: violence well because um, they saw it with their parents growing up and that's just the normal way you try to resolve yeah. things with your and, spouse
2: and it's, it's in the movies yeah, yeah the movie. exactly
1: you see it all the time
2: yeah yes. but it's but it's actually violence so i'm i'm helping people learn how to modulate their anger and the Exquisite partnership formula has got how to take the perfect time out, one that actually works. Yeah. So nobody feels like you just, you know, decided we're not going to talk about that topic.
1: Right. Or we've gone to our corners to regroup and come back out with our,
2: yes. <laughs> our fists loaded. Yeah. And, and there's a, a game that uh, my current partner and I developed, is called Show Me Your Movie. Uh-huh. And, and it's about an empathy game that couples can play. Um, and, and there's also the actual exquisite partnership formula, which is the five step process for asserting a very firm, non negotiable no with your partner that opens their heart and draws them closer.
1: Oh, I love that. That's there's beautiful. Art to that. Yes, there <laughs> absolutely is. And so if you're interested in getting a hold of that, you can check the show notes below, and uh, the URL to get that will be down there. Um, You do take private clients, it sounds like. So we will have your contact information also in the show notes. Um, Just in the last couple of minutes we have here, what are your final words of wisdom? How would you tie this up with a bow for the listeners? We need more empathy. We need more empathy for ourselves,
2: more empathy for the other sentient beings that inhabit this planet with us, more empathy for this beautiful, gorgeous orb that we're all spinning around on. If we get more connected internally, then we can start to to extend that love and compassion to others. And um, IFS has this concept of self, that we are all actually very ancient, wise beings with all the answers inside, but we've got protectors and firefighters Mm -hmm. that are prohibiting us from getting into this big wisdom that we all have. And the only way that you can get past those firefighters and protectors is to get curious and compassionate to them. So the parts of
1: yourself that you don't like need you to love them. Yes. And the first step is to get curious about their experience and why they're there. Yeah. I love that you said that. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Veronica. And I really appreciate that you did two episodes with us because there's so much to unpack in your story. Thank you. It's been a big pleasure. And I have interviewed with some of the best.
2: This was Awesome, I'm so impressed with your skills in this podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone that joined us today over the last two weeks, honestly, to dig deep into this story. I know it's been challenging at different aspects of it, but it's the challenging things that help us grow, which is why I felt it was so important to bring this story forward. And I would love to hear from you If you have comments on this show, suggestions for other shows, people you'd like to see on the show, drop me a quick line to askZophia at transformationspace.co. And until next week, go out and live soul first.
0: Thank you for being a part of our program this week. Sovereign Self can be heard live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Please join host Zofia Renea Morales again next week, right here.